All right, guys, it's time for the Next Level Guy Show, a men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is Brandon McCarthy. Brandon earned his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt under Eddie Bravo and was the first 10th Planet instructor in the entire southeastern United States. He's received each of his Jiu-Jitsu ranks directly from Eddie Bravo, currently holding the rank of first degree black belt. Brandon is one of the most highly respected instructors in the Global 10th Planet organization, teaching seminars all over the United States and internationally on a regular basis. 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu Decatur was recognised as the top rank academy in the 10th Planet system in 2014, which was large part due to the team's competitive successes and Brandon's reputation as a world-class instructor. And in this interview, we discuss how to be the best you possible in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the importance of situational sparring, why you should consider competing at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, how to hack your way to success, and so much more. And now, let's get to the interview. Thank you so much for coming on. It's an absolute joy. Usually I know exactly where I found you, but I always associate my jiu-jitsu now with you. I found you on YouTube and I've never looked back. But for people who don't recognize the name, could you give a quick introduction? So my name is Brandon McCatherine. I'm a black belt under Eddie Bravo in the 10th Planet System. Um, just love martial arts, run a gym here in Decatur, Alabama. So you started jiu-jitsu in, later in life than a lot of people. I started when I was 36. What do you think you learn about yourself taking up a new hobby, especially a martial arts, a combat sport, later in life? So I started when I was 26. So I was still young, but I was not – I was already kind of past that point of where I would have gotten in and thought that I was fixing to be the world champion or something. You know what I mean? Hmm. So uh, for me, I just don't think that I that I was really prepared to appreciate the hard work and like the dedication, and probably just didn't have the stick to itiveness that I would have needed as a young man to be able to complete the. Not to say that I have completed, but let's just say to complete the journey from white to black belt. Because it certainly is a weird sport. Like suddenly you get this big sweaty dude lying on top of you, you know, just try to choke you out. And, you know, normally you pay a tenner extra for that sort of thing. But it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a strange thing to do. But I love your one-minute hack videos that you do. Thank you. And I think they fix so many, like, really um, holes you don't even notice in your own game. But where do you see people going wrong? Because you've coached thousands of students. Where do you see the typically balls up? Where do you see them going well? You know, where do you see them struggle in their journeys? Most people just don't have consistency. That's really all it is. Like, I was not very talented. Um, I mean, it was probably two or three years before I even tapped anybody in training that I was, like, excited about you know what i mean <laughs> like what i, I feel like i go home and write that one in my journal you know so i think it just most people they just don't understand how to stick with something we live in a microwave society you know what i mean like i want to pop this meal in the out of the freezer and into the microwave and i want to have a full home-cooked meal in three minutes but it just doesn't work that way dude so, like, see when people are actually rolling, because I've noticed this, it's you do amazing in the technique when somebody's showing you, you put a bit of resistance in and they go, brilliant, getting this a wee bit more again, a wee bit more. And then a the second they say, let's roll, it's like you knock everything out of your head the second you get swept yeah. and you forget every single thing and then you just sit and be reactive, you know. How do you think we can start rolling and remember the techniques? Because you always seem to be in control, a smile on your face. 
where does that come from and how can we learn it? Because you look like you're having a ball rolling. I look like I'm crapping myself waiting to be swept. <laughs> how do we get that confidence to try things and, you know, just be better at rolling? Well, I think it's two things. I think there's a mental aspect and I think there's a physical aspect. The physical aspect is simply that just people don't spend enough time on the maps. So you have to spend enough time that you feel comfortable, you know, just in your own skin. You know, you're comfortable. You know how to move your body. Mm-hmm. You're not really being met with problems that you haven't at least tried to solve before. Maybe you're still being met with problems you can't solve, but you're not being met with problems you've never encountered before, you know, generally. And then the other thing is I think people just get like the mental part, and this is even more important really, is people tend to get uh, their self-worth tied up in their their results. Hmm. And that's just not a healthy way to do it. Like you, your results really in anything are kind – they're kind of out of your control. You can't really control the results. The other person wants to win too. You know what I'm saying? And they train hard or maybe they even train harder than you. So the results are – out of your control what's not out of your control what is within your control is your work ethic your process your habits your you know just the the things that structure how you feel about the training and and the kind of approach that you take to it so what i always tell my students is look we control the controllable and what we can't control we let go of like you can't get your self-worth tied up in the results. You can get your self-worth tied up a little bit in the process because the process is within your control and that speaks to your work ethic and your consistency and your discipline. Those things you can take pride in and you can wrap yourself up in because you know that if you just have a good process, you can lean on that process and the process will yield results. But really the results are not, they're not within your control. So are you a fan of learning like concepts over techniques or do you prefer to have like a set base and, you know, X to Y to Z or do you prefer to just know how to sweep so you can keep that flexibility, that creativity? Do you have a preference how you learn or how you would coach somebody? No, I think that's a great question. And I think the answer to that is that you must have both, right? Hmm. Like concepts are great, but if I don't have an uh, a technique in which I can apply the concept, it doesn't really stick. Yeah. So if we're talking about like, what is jujitsu? Like, what is it made of? What are the fundamentals? People will s- try to tell you, well, these are the 36 moves that are the fundamentals of jujitsu. You need to know an arm bar, you need to know mm-hmm. a cross choke and, and okay. Those are beginner moves, but those are not the fundamentals. The fundamentals are balance weight distribution, leverage, timing, patience, perseverance, self-control, discipline, attitude, focus, integrity, excellence. Like these are the principles of jujitsu, right? And so what I believe is that if I'm going to teach you, let's say I'm going to teach you an arm lock in class tonight, okay? The arm lock all right, step one, I put my hand here. Step two, I put my foot here. Step three, I move my body off of this angle. Okay, that's fine. But what if the circumstances change? And if I just know it as step one, step two, step three, I don't actually know how to apply it once you stick something in the spokes and stop the wheel from spinning, right? Hmm. So when I teach you the arm lock, yes, I'm going to teach you your hand goes here, but more importantly, your hand goes here because it's the end of the lever. Yes, your leg goes here, but your leg goes here because it controls the posture. And so when you lose control of something like an arm lock, you don't go back to what was I supposed to do with my hand again? You go back to I have to control his posture. I have to distribute my weight properly. So once you have a grasp of the fundamentals, that the true, the fundamental principles then you can take those principles and they apply to every technique. And so now today you're coming into class and we're working on heel hook escapes. Well, I'm going to teach you heel hook escapes through the same filter of balance, weight distribution, and leverage. And so now once you make the recognition, oh, a heel hook escape is made of the same principles that an arm lock is made out of, which is made of the same principle as shrimping back to my guard, which is the same thing as a takedown. Now 
every time you come in, I may be giving you a specific technique, a filter through which we study, but the topic of the night is the art of jujitsu. We're going to teach it to you tonight through the filter of heel hook escapes. But while you're working this heel hook escape and you're learning balance, weight distribution, and leverage, you're actually learning the entire art. And once you've got a grasp of those truths, you can lift those truths and apply them in something that feels like a technique that's at the other end of the spectrum. That these, it feels like these are unrelated techniques, but what you actually understand, if you have a grasp of the fundamentals, that they are the same techniques because they're made of the same content. It's really hard not to start taking notes, like you know, because it's it's so weird how speaking to somebody that I've seen so many times on YouTube and your videos just stick. You know, I kind of understand what you're saying and I I follow it and really sort of technical techniques. I'm like, ah, oh, right. I watch Brandon; he'll explain that. Where does this level of coaching come from, and what similarities have you noticed with like Eddie Bravo, Stephen Keston, you know, Chewy, all these amazing people you've trained with, all the amazing PGF fighters? What have you noticed about the similarities that make people great compared to this, the usual hobbyist? The simil- the teaching similarities. Well, have, that, you, have, the- have you noticed like in the way they perform and the way that they learn, like how you would teach them? Have is there a way that people can take this, the way they approach the mat to improve their own game? I know it's a bit of a loaded question, but um, well, I- I've been really lucky in my martial arts career that I've I've had great teachers like to stand over me and watch me. So, you know, everybody knows Eddie Bravo. Everybody knows these big jujitsu names, but really my first coach in the martial arts is a guy named Jamie Webster. And uh, Jamie is not a Brazilian jujitsu practitioner. Like he, he understands grappling, but he was a Japanese jujitsu black belt, Tung Sudo black belt. Um, But he also had a degree in elementary education. And so that's what his college um, certificate college degree was in. And I got, I was really lucky that when we started learning, when Lindsay and I started learning, we were learning from Jamie. Jamie is a great teacher. He understood how to take all of those ideas and lay them down real simply to where even kids could understand what he was asking them to do. And so for me, that was a really big part of the formation of my, martial arts education and from helping me to start understanding um, jujitsu from a teacher's perspective, I could think back to the way that Jamie taught because it was so helpful to me and to my wife. And then I moved on to Eddie. Eddie has, Eddie is a very systemized guy. So Jamie is a very principled teacher, but Eddie is a very systematic teacher. Here are the steps. Here's the process. Here are the exact drills that I want you to do do it exactly like this. And that was good for me too, because that helped me have an answer for every and things to drill for every possible scenario. You know, um, my wife is a, has been a great example as a teacher. She is a degree in education as well. And she worked in the public school system as a math teacher for what was it, 13 years, 14 years. I can't remember exactly. Um, but probably the greatest teacher in my life is a, is a guy named Lonnie Jones and Lonnie, um, he, he's a teacher, but he's not a martial arts teacher. He's one of my purple belts. Um, but Lonnie told me one time that if you can't explain it in a way that a six year old can understand it, then you don't understand it yourself. And I've tried to keep that in mind, just be a, just to be a regular old dude, you know, when it's time to be on the mats. And um, I, I don't think it's healthy. I think some of the way that we have the, the jujitsu hierarchy structured in our communities is, is not necessarily healthy and not conducive to learning. It like hmm. places the teacher like as a, like he's better than the students. But for me, I'm on the mat training every day with the students. Like I'm, I roll every day with the students. So, uh, I want them. I don't, I'm not professor. I'm not sensei. I'm not, you Love know, it. the most, the most that I'll take up is like, you can call me coach if you want, mm-hmm. but my name's Brandon. You know what I'm saying? There's no, I don't need you to bow to me or to a picture of my coaches. I don't need you to wear a certain uniform. To be honest with you, I don't need you to show up on time. I'm just glad you're here when you could get here. 
So if if look, you're 20 minutes late every night, dude. I'm just glad you made it. Thanks for coming. You know, yeah. and so I think building a culture like that and really focusing on just trying to have a place where everybody enjoys training. I mean, that's the number one because that's the number one thing you need is to be excited to come and be on the mats. Like the most important thing that you could have is a good attitude and a desire to be there. And if the training is miserable or if you got to kind of, you know, worship me or the coach or whoever in order to get to education, I just don't want to be there. I'm not going to give you my best work. And I think most people feel that way. Yeah, I definitely agree with that because I started in a Gracie Baja and it was, you know, bow to this, bow to that. Like, you know, and it, it just felt like, you know, it was like your own private army. You know, you had to wear GB stuff everywhere. And now the place I'm in just now, it's just a case of turn up, you call the coaches by their names, they show you stuff, you just get on with it, you enjoy it. And that's the way jiu-jitsu should be for me. You love situational sparring. Do you find that as like a holy grail to learning jiu-jitsu and just letting people go? Yeah, I definitely do. Uh, And the struggle as a coach is to keep it situational and stop them from turning it into a full-blown war, you know, like, hey, man, we're only passing the lockdown half guard right now. I look over here at your group and you've turned it into a closed guard battle or, or one guy's back on the feet passing. Like, we should have reset the drill already. But, yeah, situational sparring because it just exposes you to the same scenario over and over again. And so, and I like it. I like situational sparring too, because it takes some of the uh, ego out where it's like, oh, he beat me. He tapped me. Well, no, no, he just beat me at this little game that we're playing. This little, this little lockdown half guard passing game. Oh, he got me. And now you can run back into the same scenario and start to AB test and problem solve. What are the things that are actually giving me problems here? Like coach is telling me that I need to bump my knees, but I can't even get the underhook. So I can see that that's a, that's a big part of the issue is I'm, I'm having trouble getting the underhook. I need to focus on that part before I start worrying about all the stuff we did in class tonight or, or I did the thing he did in class, but he's sitting his weight in a different way. So why is this shutting me down? I need to run back into that problem repeatedly. Cause when I first started, I was just, if I topped, it was like the end of the world. I would bitch about it over the weekend. I would sit and dread to go back. If I had a great role and I was tapping people, I was the cock of the north. Like I was just the being. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so you know, and it's like, so why do you think guys? Why do we tie it up with our masculinity? How do you lose the ego? Do you just get guys to go in and get beaten up by the 125 pound girl just to let them know that it's okay to tap and it's okay to tap early? How do we lose that ego, do you think? I don't think you should lose the ego. I think you need your ego. I think your ego is what keeps you alive and what keeps you concerned with your own growth and actually striving forward. So we don't need to get the ego out. We need to get the ego under control. Hmm. The ego is just not allowed to drive the bus, but we've got to take the ego with us. But he can't drive. You know what I'm saying? What, what Eddie used to say was, that you got to play neon belly on your ego. You can't let your ego play neon belly on you. I love it. You know, and I, I've I've got a lot of value out of that over the years. But the ego is important. The problem is that we treat like, especially guys. And I, I don't want to say that somebody has to compete to be good at jujitsu because I don't believe that. Um, but if you don't compete outside the gym, you end up doing your competing in the gym, and that's. I think where a lot of guys fall into trouble. Because that's the thing is that a lot of guys don't have a challenge in their life. You know, you can order a date online, you can order food online, you can order <laughs> a taxi. You know, you can. You don't even need to do anything. We've got no challenges really in our lives. So I see that a lot of times, like all the white belts are going to try to kill each other. And as a blue belt, I'm sitting there going, just calm down. We've got to do this 50, 60 times in a session. You know, you don't need to win every single thing or break my arm just because you've gone the wrong way or something. You know, just tap, we reset, we go again. Why do you think that is? I mean, why? how can we build a sense of creativity into it? Because you like to record your roles and review them. Is that a good thing for everybody to do? How do we start to review them? How do we start thinking, are we getting better or worse? Is it a way to kind of know if we're going good? Yeah, I mean, you just compare yourself to the people who are starting after you. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Like you're say you're you're a blue belt or you're you're working on your blue belt. You're working on your blue belt. I'm getting close. I feel like I'm getting close. But coach, I just don't feel like I'm getting better. Like yeah, you're rolling with guys who started right beside you. They're getting better too. Everybody that's already in the gym is getting better with you. You know, they're all working hard too. But when a new guy comes in, could the guy could the brand new version of yourself have stayed on the mat and not gotten overwhelmed by that big new power lifter who just signed up? No. But you you were able to get out there after six or seven months and stop him from crushing you and making you want to quit the pressure. Yo, that's progress. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, man. I just I think people take jujitsu too seriously. You know, I, I get that it's a serious thing, but also, man, like you can kind of use jujitsu to be what you need it to be in your life. But I think people just get, they get their, their opinion of themselves tied up in the results that they're doing in the gym. And that's to me, that's just not what the gym is for. It's not, it's never what the gym has been intended to be. The gym is just a place to train. But if you need to test yourself and find out who you are, they don't do that in the gym. That's dumb. These are your training partners, not your opponents. No, that's very well said. I mean, you see it the whole time. It's like white belts. Are, it's almost like it's a blight on their masculinity if they tap. And you're just like, why, why are you still fighting that? Just tap it and we'll go again. And it's you learn it's a blue belt. You know, just let it go. If you know somebody's going to hurt themselves because of the way they're turning or whatever, you think, oh, well, I know I could have tapped them, but let's just go again. How do you then yeah, go? You know what's the hard part right there, though? So it's it sounds like the hard part is learning to tap early. Mm-hmm. But the real hard part is being the guy who had the arm lock locked all the way up and decided to let him go, and you're okay with that, and you don't have to bring up to him that you yeah. let him out. Just let him let him run his training however he wants. I don't have to bring up to him that I was only working on my side control escapes. <laughs> Yep, there's guys. When he walks away, if I'm only working on side control escapes and he walks away and he tells his little group over there, yo, I passed Brandon's guard, that has to be okay with me. You understand what I'm saying? I think yep. that's a harder part of the ego than learning to tap. I think that part's pretty easy. I'm going to break your arm if you don't tap. You'll learn it one one time and you'll learn it well. Because I used to do that, like I'd be like, "Oh, you, yeah, it was a crank, or you, you passed me because I was working on it, you know." And I, I was thinking, try to justify it like my own bullshit to myself, and I was like, yes. "It's ah. dangerous. It's and dangerous." You, you don't notice it till you really get to sort of blue belt, where suddenly there is the wide gap between blue to purple. You know, white you get to blue with time served in a lot of gyms. So, yeah. it blue, how do you keep the momentum going at blue belt? How do you keep that? You know. I think they call BJM Blue Belt Blues. How do you keep people <laughs> focused at that point? You know, I mean, how do you get them to realize that jiu-jitsu is a great part of life and re-spark them, you know, get them to to just chase the next level of progression? And I hate myself for saying that. Uh, um, I, I think it's back to what we talked about earlier. I have to make the gym a place that you want to be. So if, if you're in an environment that you don't really want to be, because here's the thing, like, We're going to work. If I love something, I'm going to put the extra work in on it. Mm -hmm. If you give me a task and I'm not excited about it, listen, I'm going to give you, I'm going to do a good job for you, but I'm probably not going to give you an 80 hour work week on it. You know what I'm saying? But I will go above and beyond to complete a task, not just to complete a task, but to do it to the fullest of my ability. If it's something that I'm passionate about and excited about. And if I don't want to be in the gym, if the gym is a place that stresses me out or there's somebody in there that gets on my nerves and I don't want to deal with their garbage tonight, I'm not going to be excited about being in the gym, you know? And so I think everybody in that kind of late beginner to intermediate stage, especially, you start feeling that, well, what's the technique that I need to work on? that's going to help me step to the next level. What do I need to work on my guard passing? What do you, what do you see that I need to work on coach? Well, no. honestly at purple belt, you still suck at everything. You know what I mean? So just pick the thing that's going to make you excited to show up and do extra work tomorrow and start working on that. 
because then you'll show up and you'll do your best work this way. Mm. Purple, purple, you're terrible at everything. You're not good at guard passing yet. You're not good at, I mean, you know, you're purple, but you're intermediate for a reason because you don't have advanced skills yet. Mm. Right. So what do I need to work on? You need to work on everything. So why don't you just start at the place that gets you the most excited to show up and put in serious work and that will produce growth. And the next thing will spark off of that. So how would you advise somebody, say somebody who's listening is thinking, yeah, that's great, but I can't fight. I can't control a role. You know, I'm not aggressive. I've spoken to others or jiu-jitsu players who have said, you know, like they have to find a balance between the two. They have to find their aggressive point. They have to have a mantra. You know, you always seem to be just having a laugh. And, a, you know, you joke throughout roles and you're twisting people up and throwing them around the place. How do we find that aggression? Do we find the aggression or do we just find a point of enjoyment? To Yeah, know, I don't how- think aggression is really the trick. I think it's just being good at what you do. Like, you got to be great at your craft. Mm-hmm. Like, if if uh, Eric Clapton was sitting here, I said, dude, how do you go on stage so comfortable and then you can sing and play your guitar at the same time. And then you can look over and notice somebody in the crowd while you're playing guitar. Yo, that's a seriously intricate skill. Yeah. How does he do it? Dude, how does he do it? It's, he's not playing the guitar. The He's using the guitar to express him. It's inside of him. The music's coming out of the end of his fingers. You know what I'm saying? It's natural extension of himself. And that's the way I feel. If you want to have that kind of comfort level, you have to, have that that many mad hours so just he's putting in more mad hours than anybody i've ever even known so and i'm not even saying i'm the best ever i don't i'm not even like trying to make an assertion to that but nobody loves being in the gym and rolling more than i do because it certainly comes across in your videos i love how you're just always got a smile you're always just like cracking jokes and having a laugh and you're always got to be involved and you've got you know and i love that about it because I've, I've spoken to guys in the changing rooms and they've been like i don't feel like i deserve to be here and it's like well you pay your membership you turn up you're you know it's like they kind of think i'm not just, i'm not good enough if i can't be learning the skills that we're you're paying to do it and i i find that imposter syndrome such a weird thing have you had any students who've struggled with it well, i mean i struggle with it like i think everybody that's honest with themselves feels like they're not like oh, i'm a fake i'm gonna get found out <laughs> like i remember before i started doing jujitsu i thought that way about music you know when i started doing commentary for ebi and combat jujitsu i was like oh my god I'm going to go up there. I'm going to, I'm going to be this redneck and I'm going to say something stupid. And, you know, and then it comes out, I go back and listen to it. Like, Jesus Christ, they're never going to invite me back. I sound like an idiot. You know, I think everybody struggles with that. That's just part of being a human. I get that with a podcast. I'll say something and I can see yeah, somebody's sure. reaction going, what the f- is he talking about now? Like, and because I think we over, like, you put too much pressure on ourselves. You know, we kind of just go, it's, I survived this fight. Whoever wins it gets to take home the golden goose or something. You know, it's like the, yeah. the extra panic that we put on it. But how do we, how do you get somebody to, because you said you weren't, you're a quitter and you weren't tough when you started jujitsu. What no, changed? Uh, well, I was really lucky. My wife and I started together. And I think if, I had not had her there with me that I probably would have quit in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no way I was quitting in front of my wife, especially while she was still going. And then she's uh, going to be able to kick my butt in like three years. There's no way. So I got really lucky in that regard. Because <laughs> I was exactly the same. If I hadn't started with a decent class of beginner students, I think I would have gone up. Because I was still training with one of the guys who I started with. And, oh, that's you know. And I've gone through girlfriends, I've gone through like uh, jobs and stuff, but I still go to jiu-jitsu. But I would have given up because I was always the guy that, oh, bit tough, right, I'm leaving. Why do you think we, we do that? Is it because we've got no challenge in our lives? Do you find like guys don't have creative outlets like music and stuff that we just drink and drugs and things like that? Is there a, Do you notice a, a thing in the people that you coach? No, what specific, notice what specifically? 
like do you notice the the reason that they struggle with the kind of just taking on the challenge of jiu-jitsu being aggressive being you know into a sport where people are you know smashing your head under their armpits and try to choke them out of heart why do people struggle staying with it Mm -hmm. do you have you noticed a consistency reason it's hard it's hard i mean anything hard there's going to be an attrition rate you know i'm sure there i don't know what the stats are but i'm sure there's some stats on how many people start climbing mount everest and don't make it up you know i mean most small businesses fail right when they say 80 percent of small businesses go out uh close within like five years anything that has a difficulty level to people without talent and work ethic are going to fall off right away and then eventually the ones without consistency fall off, even if they had talent, you know, and even if they worked hard in the beginning, if they, if they're not able to put together consistency, then they fall off as well. You know, Chris Howder has a, I don't know Chris, but I'm a big fan of his. He's got a great video where and there's a little tagline in it where he's looking at his students and he goes, listen, it's not about who's best. It's about who's left. And to me, that's really the way I feel about my own journey in jiu-jitsu. I wasn't the best. I wasn't even good for many years. But as I kept training, I started noticing that all of my peers were falling to the wayside around me. That one falls off for injury. That one got married. That one moved to Texas. That one just quit. That one, somebody made him mad and he lost you dropped two of his uh, training days and now we don't see him anymore a year later. And this one got a girlfriend and it just, and they just slough off over the years. But it's not about who's best. It's about who's left. And if I just, I found if I just kept showing up and putting in meaningful hours, not so people try to judge jujitsu by how many years have you been training or how many days a week do you train? How often do you train? And I think that's the ba- that's a bad metric. Because if you come twice a week for five years and I show up five days a week, two a days, I'm going to pass you in six months. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I think what we need to be thinking about if we're going to measure is we need to be measuring in terms of meaningful hours. So what kind of parameters then would you set on you know, is it turning up and just enjoying yourself? Is it turning up and, you know, how would you kind of review your, like, your parameters of turning up for success? Like, what personal characteristics would you give to it? For myself or for, it just depends on who I'm talking to. It depends on your goal set. Like, hey, Brandon, I want to be the world champion. Are you sure you know what you're asking for? Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, only one person in the world can be the world champion, Right. Are you sure that you got what it takes discipline-wise to go after that? And if you do, do you have what it takes to get near the top or not that close to the top and then fail and come back again? Because the world champion is one of one. You know, oh, Brent, I want to make it to the UFC. You sure you want to do that? <laughs> you know, so – it just depends on the rule set. What's your, what's your goal set? What are you trying to do? Man, I'm just trying to lose 20 pounds. Oh, well, then that looks totally different than this guy who just told me he wants to be a professional MMA fighter. Hmm. You know what I mean? And so I don't see a reason. Why should I talk to the guy who just wants to lose 20 pounds and get out of the house two nights a week, you know, just for stress relief? Why should he have the same uh, goal set? and like the same demands on his training and his diet and his work ethic that somebody who's trying to fight for a living has, like that doesn't make sense to me. So it just depends on the goal set you give to like, for me personally, my goals with training have changed many times over the years. In the beginning, it was just about losing weight and getting in shape and doing something with my wife together, you know, and as I got more and more involved in it, I wanted to like, Oh, I want to, I want to win competitions. I want to beat people. And then as I got deeper in that, Oh, I want to learn how to fight. And then, you know, I want to start rising up. I want to win some competitions at Brown and black belt. I want to start tapping these guys in competition. Then I, 
you know, eventually I just, after a couple of injuries, I don't, the competing, that bug just kind of waned, you know, and I didn't want to deal with, um, you know, the potential risk of injury, but I still want to be on the mats. I still get, I think there's so much to learn and it doesn't mean that I don't want to train hard and push myself, but my goal showing up now isn't necessarily to be the best guy in the room, right? Like if, like it's my school and I got good students. I got other black belts that train with me. But if the idea is, man, I wonder if I can go in this room and beat everybody. Well, then I should just quit now because I can do that now in my room. I'm not saying I can do that in every room in the world, but you know, at my gym, I'm the best guy, you know? So if the goal is to be the best, then I've got no other goal to strive for. But because the objective is to enjoy and deepen my mastery of the art, the results don't matter as long as I was, it doesn't matter if I paint a great picture as long as I show up and paint. I can work on becoming a great artist, not on painting a great picture. Because when I changed gyms recently, that's what I struggled with. I went from uh, a Gracie Baja where I could just stick to the same kind of moves and kind of control people because a big fatty and I could pressure past my way in and, you know, north, south, Kamura, bang, bang, done. And then suddenly we moved to this new gym and it was like, they're all competitors. They're all like, you know, six pack freaks. And I was like, whoa, you know, it, it took me a while to get used to just getting back into doing jiu-jitsu but i've learned so much now that the skill development is the joy of, of actually doing jiu-jitsu it's not yeah. thinking i'm going to be the best martial artist in the world or anything like that it's actually just my own personal journey and i think that's what really comes across in your videos it's you teach people in such an amazing different ways it doesn't matter what level they're at you seem to be able to let them connect with them and do you think you're like um you're um, you know your other sort of martial arts that you've done like Sun Tzu Do I think it was and other ones like that have you do you found that like that cross training has kind of taught you about being a better coach like where do you think your your style of coaching comes from yeah it comes from the guys that I've learned from I just really I just am emulating what they've given me Jamie Webster Eddie Bravo Lonnie Jones those are the those are the primary folks. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy, so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The company showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. How, how are you finding the podcast? Are you, are you enjoying it just now? Are you finding that quite like it opens up your new avenue of thinking about jujitsu? Are you enjoying doing it with your wife and kind of just exploring jujitsu more in a week? I love that. I love doing the podcasts. I like just that me and Lindsay get to sit down and do just, I don't know, just hang out together. She's my favorite person in the world. So I know most people don't like their wife, but I happen to really, really like mine. Uh, I think I would be a zero in life without her for sure. So yeah, just anytime that I get to just spin. And then I like that, um, like I, I have a happy marriage, you know, and that's like the most important thing in the world to me. And I like being able to to put that as an example out into the world of like, we enjoy being around each other and, you know, not, not to say like, do it the way we do it, but to show you like, look, man, you can have a really, we've been married 21 years coming on next month or May. So a month and a half. And, um, I don't know. I love her more than ever. So anytime that I get to spend with her is just a blessing. So yeah, I love doing the podcast with her and just having fun and letting people see that, you know, you can have you can have that too. You could like marriage can work. I know it doesn't normally, but it can work great. 
<laughs> no, I love it because like it certainly comes across in your like the podcast videos. You have such an awesome relationship, and I was like, that's the sort of thing I'd love to do. To have somebody who wanted to do jujitsu who would put up with my podcast, who well, who put up with me. You know, I, I know I look like God knows what with my hair at the moment, but I mean, it's like. I, I'm in single now, and I couldn't get used. I couldn't find somebody who wanted to d- come to jujitsu as well. You know, they're wanting yeah. to watch grabs reruns and stuff. How do you how do you find somebody like that? What tips have you learned about sharing jujitsu and a partner? Man, I don't know. I don't see it work out usually. To be honest with you, like Lindsay and I, we started together. We started on the same day. It was her idea. She's like, Brandon, you're getting fat. I didn't marry you so that you would die 20 years before me with a heart attack. I signed us up for martial arts classes. Okay, I guess we're doing martial arts classes. And here I go. Um, I think the main thing that I see that makes it fall apart, like when guys are trying to get their girl into it, is me and Lindsay, we started together, so no one was ever the expert. Mm-hmm trying to teach and talk down towards the other one. You know, look, I got this, trust me on this. Like we were both ignorant together. And as we progressed through the beginner stages, we did that together and we went intermediate together. So we were experiencing the same things at the same time. Cause she's been training this whole time too. I mean, she's been training for fit. Like I said, since the day I started, I just am obsessive. And so after about the, about the purple belt level, I forsook the rest of my <laughs> the rest of my responsibilities. It was like I'm going all in. I, you know. um, you're a brave man if you're talking down to your missus. That's the one thing I learned was never say anything bad. Don't you see people do that all the time though? Like mm-hmm. when they like say if we were going to learn guitar together, and I already was pretty good, and I'm bringing you along. I'm going to get frustrated because you don't understand the basics. Like, oh, what do you mean you don't know how to do a G chord? No, no, just put your fingers here. Just, no, stop, stop, stop. You can't tell that's wrong. You can't hear that and tell that's wrong. Oh, this is never going to. And then we start getting frustrated with each other, and it's, it's a struggle. Because that was something I was very interested in was, you know, there was a video on the BMAC, and, sorry, not the BMAC show, I think it was called at that point, where there was, like, yourself and Eddie and a few mates playing guitar and, you know, yeah. just strumming along and having a laugh and Eddie launching into his conspiracy theories. And, you know, it just looked like a great laugh. And, you know, I was just like, get a cold pitcher of beer, you're laughing. Like, what do you, like, do you think learning instruments and stuff like that, do creative hobbies like that help your jiu-jitsu? Or is that a way to unwind from the stresses of business, fatherhood, that sort of thing? Uh, Yeah, both, both. It's definitely a way for me to just unwind. But I think that's more, I think you kind of, like jujitsu is a way for me to unwind too. Once yeah. you have a skill and it's kind of sub, like you can do it unconsciously, then you can meditate with it. It becomes like meditated response almost. So like you're like, oh, Brandon, you're always looking around when you roll, cutting up, having fun. Well, I'm not even really paying attention to the round. My body's just responding. I'm watching that round or I'm cutting jokes and with the camera yeah. or whatever. But my body's doing what it's supposed to do unconsciously, especially with like a beginner or a blue or purple belt, right? Um, music's the same way. So it, because I've, I've been playing music a lot longer than I've been doing jujitsu, I started as a musician when I was about 15 years old. And, you know, same obsessive gene. I treated that the same way as I t- treated jujitsu in the beginning, you know, <laughs> just obsessed for a decade of longer than that, really. But you know, just stay super obsessed for a long time. And then, then, uh, you have a skill that you can kind of, like you said, stress relief and meditate with. But I do think that any, anything that you have already gained a level of mastery over, even if it's not like deep mastery, Mm -hmm. anything you've already learned and have grasped, you also learned how to do everything else in that moment, whatever else you want to learn in life, you learned how to learn already. You just have to find what were the principles of learning and then lift those and apply them to the new tech, to the new task, the new hobby or whatever it is. So like, how do you get better at jujitsu? Oh, well, it's the same way you get better at guitar. You pick up the instrument and you play it every day. You listen to people who know more than you and pick their brain. 
Hmm. Have somebody who knows what they're talking about sit and watch you and critique you. And then you should go and book a show in front of everybody and try to play it. And that'll tell you where you stand. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've done guitar hero and I know how bad I am with that. <laughs> a coffee shop and you suck, that's not a good feeling. So it makes you prepare extra hard. Just like competing forces mm. you to be on top of your game and to be extra prepared. But all of the all of the how you learn anything is how you learn everything. So if you already have learned anything, you know how to learn everything now. It's yeah. just applying the formula across to the new skill. So what would you want people listening to do in like in addition to turning up and training? You know, is there kind of things we should be doing off the mats? Is there recovery, mobility? Should we be, you know, is there like a list of things you'd want them to do? Because like some people say yes to instructionals and others say it's cheat, you know, it's you're a bit on the side and you're cheating on your class, you know, this kind of thing. Oh my what, God. That's what do you think? What would you what would you want people to do away from the mats and to benefit their jujitsu? Get as get as much healthy rest as possible. Don't drink alcohol, and drink plenty of water. Those are the best things you can do for your jujitsu. Like instructionals are dope. That that helps. The best mm-hmm. thing you can do for your jujitsu and for your for your health and your life is stay away from alcohol. Drink plenty of water. And make sure you get lots of healthy rest. I love how like it's so simple, and it's like I think like I'm because I'm at Blue. I keep imagining there's some like special treats and things you need to follow, and you're just like just go on the mat, enjoy it, see you're improving. Do you think we all need to compete? I mean, you mentioned before that you don't need to, but what what do you think? I think everyone should. I don't think it's absolutely a necessity to study the art of jujitsu, mm-hmm. but I think if you plan to teach somebody else one day, then you must compete. Yeah. Because they're going to have experiences that you're not going to know, know how to talk to them about. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a very fair point. I mean, what do you think of coaches who don't compete or who are not sort of, you know, they don't want, they don't push their competitors towards competing you know do you think they miss out a vital part of jiu-jitsu you should i don't think you should push your people towards competing i think you should encourage it and Mm -hmm. let them know not not even that it's expected it's not expected but it is encouraged and here are the benefits that you'll gain from it and here's some of the things you'll miss by setting it out but do you Mm -hmm. have to no you don't have to and your question what do i think about coaches who don't compete or who never did I think that those tend to be the coaches who try to live vicariously through their students mm-hmm. because they never really, because they were too afraid. Let's be honest. That's what it was because mm-hmm. they were too afraid to go and compete themselves. They never struggle with those feelings and they, they need the validation, but they can't go grab it themselves. It's too late. And so they push their students. And those are those tend to be like the most toxic training environments, in my experience. 90% of the most toxic training environments are from coaches who never competed themselves. Because I can remember when I went to the gym before, the one I'm in just now, you know, I did a couple of trial lessons and I, I felt like I was a bit of fresh meat. You know, the, it was just, they only focused on their top competitors. Everybody else was just like an afterthought. And it was just like, you know, you felt like you were in a, in a prison riot or something. You were kind of like, whoa. Hey, listen, I, think there's a, I think there's a place for gyms like that. I got no issue with gyms like that. Hmm. Um, but you got to kind of know what you got and what you want, what your goal set is for the gym too. So like, hey, I only want to I only want to work with people who want to be world champions. Oh, no problem. You're not going to have a very big gym. You're yeah. not going to impact nearly as many people. And And by the way, that's totally fine. But you need to know what you're walking into right here. Oh, I wanna, I wanna really cater to the uh, the beginners. Okay, but just know every time somebody starts peeking out and getting pretty good, they're gonna move on to to harder training somewhere else. Mm. Not a problem. But you know, we got to be honest with ourselves about what our goal set is as coaches and gym owners too. I mean, you've competed in Naga, you competed in IBJJF. 
what do you find is a sort of a good way of training towards these things? You know, how do you overcome the fear? I know it's a difficult question because it really depends on the person, the competition, but is there kind of set rules or a way of approaching competitions, do you think? Um, be in the best shape possible is the number one rule. C- cardio is the mother of all technique. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you can't lift your arms because you're so tired, you're not going to be able to pull it off against anybody, mm-hmm. no matter how unskilled they are. So step one, the shift from com- from training in the gym to competing is cardio is the mother of all technique. And then shift number two, and this takes a while. This takes experience in competing. But competing is a skill set unto itself. There's the skill set of being good at jujitsu. Yeah. And then there's the skill set of competing. Those are two separate skill sets that you're going to have to acquire to be a world champion or to be excellent in competition. You're going to have to learn how to compete as well. And part of that is coming to the understanding that all those horrible self-doubts and crippling fears and sick feelings that come up in your stomach and those excuses that are coming up in your head on competitions on Thursday and on Saturday and on Thursday, I'm thinking about, man, maybe my ankles is hurt. Maybe I do need to pull out of this thing. All those feelings and all those thoughts, your opponent is having those too. And not only that, but this is not your body asking you to pull out and to not compete. This is your body. This is what the body does when it's time to fight. Your body is preparing you to fight. And once you become friends with that, mm-hmm. everything becomes much, much easier. But this only comes, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? You know what I mean? He has ears to hear. Let him hear that this has not come easy. This is something that comes from repeated exposure to that stress over and over. And I start to understand that when my body and my mind start to, to react this way, this is my body preparing for battle. I can now it's well, it's preparing for battle or run. And I've decided this is not a run situation. It's a battle situation. Hmm. And so that's what the body has to, I need that adrenaline. I need that. I need my heart rate to get higher. It's supposed to get higher. And I'm about to do real work out here. Cause I've certainly noticed a lot with the top competitors or the top coaches. They say, it's just, you're going to feel the fear anyway, except yeah. it and you deal with it. Cause it's not going to go away but use it as a kind of way of building up to like the competition yeah, to get going. Like, uh, coach, I don't want to do it. I'm afraid. Well, you're just going to have to do it while you're afraid. Hmm. It's still good. Time's still going to pass anyway. So you may as well. Uh, Look, we, yeah, and that's another thing from Chris Howder. He's like, Hey, listen, man, you're going to be something in 10 years. You might as well be a black belt. Rather than filled with regret. Just yeah. Just don't quit. Because then you went the then the, the extreme as once you stopped competing, you then decided to create your own league. You know, you're like the PGF. <laughs> Crazy person, though. How did you find that transition from competitor? To, I don't. I don't know. Well, I don't know. It's uh, it's been a very interesting. It's been a very interesting couple of years. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing, bro. I don't know what – what am I thinking? Trying to start a sports league. That's madness. Because it's, yeah, it's doing an awesome thing. I mean, I, and have you noticed a similarity in the the top competitors, the people going wrong? Have you noticed – like, have has there been some people that surprised you? Has there been great fights that you would recommend for people to check out, do you think? Oh, within the PGF? Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like I've – through three seasons of this thing and dealing – because, you know, it's it's competing every night. Like each guy is competing 12 times. There's 24 people, and they're all doing 12 competitions and just to qualify for the tournament. And then we've done that three different times. I mean, I've seen every level of competitor and every level of fear and nervousness and handling it well and handling it poorly and – crying before the match and crying after the match and puking before and after like yeah i mean the lessons that i've learned from this end of it have been so numerous i I would have trouble even finding a place to start and so where do you see the like has it reinvigorated your approach to jujitsu you know being the the businessman as well as the running the gym and stuff like that you know how has it affected you your own jujitsu 
I've never needed my passion for jujitsu to be invigorated. I love jujitsu more than I ever did. And uh, I've never, I've, I mean, I've had moments where it wasn't going well, but I've never, I've never felt like maybe I should just hang this up. Like, you know, I have just like everybody else. Oh man, what am I doing? Like, I'll just keep getting hurt or I just, I can't win at this level or, you know, we all go through those things or maybe this is not what I want to do with my life. But my passion for trying to get better at jujitsu has never, has never waned for a moment. I feel stronger than ever that, that I just want to dive as deep as possible. I love it more than I ever have. So where do you want to take the, you know, the BMAC brand? Where do you want to take the PGF? How do you want the evolution of this? Because, you know, you seem, for somebody that said that they were struggling with imposter syndrome, you know, you have like, you're loved by the community. You have thousands and thousands of fans. How do you, like, what do you want to do with it? Are you just enjoying where you are now? Or have you got a plan on how you want to take this? Do you want to see the PGF everywhere? What would you want to see the next five years, say? Well, I think the main thing that I want is I just want to leave legacy for my kids and my students and my grandchildren and my grand students and it's whatever <laughs> lineage comes down after me. I want them to be able to look back and go, um, okay, that guy, he, he was serious about this and he left us an example to follow. And uh, I think that the PGF is a much larger idea than just the Brandon brand. So, yeah, I, we have big plans for the PGF. Um, we just dropped a bunch of money on new um, production studio setup, you know, for the gym. So we're installing permanent, basically like a permanent production studio in the mm-hmm. in the warehouse section of the gym and. Yeah, we're trying to go to the next level. This next season four is going to be really similar to what we just did in season three. And because of the way we're setting it up, I don't really need the sponsor. I don't really need sponsors because of the revenue model that we've built. Um, And that's good because that allows me to grow it and do it exactly the way I want to do it. And I don't have to worry about going to find sponsors to make it happen. Or to, to make it bigger, I need to find bigger sponsors. I don't really have that that problem. Uh, what we need is um, just eyeballs on YouTube. You know, and, you, you see the quality has improved so much in each season. You know, it just you see them getting yeah, better and better. We got a long way to go. You know, we're still just. Uh, I think there's. Well, we got seven people on the media team. There's still just seven of us. So all that work that you see come out, that's all done by a small team, but we're constantly improving. We're constantly reinvesting in the business. You know, I I don't, I don't need much money. I'm not a money and stuff type of dude. I just need to train and see my people. And then uh, whatever money we do make, we just reinvest it back into the business. So the PGF should Right now, it's a regional brand, and that's the idea. Hmm. But as we grow and we learn more and more, I definitely want to take it into a national brand where we have the PGF going in all four corners of the country as qualifiers and then coming together for a playoff. That would be awesome. We'll see. I'm not in a rush to make that happen, though. So I'm not giving myself a deadline like this has to be done in the next three years. I think it's more important to grow and to, I think it's important to get the lessons and the growing pains out of the way while we're small, you know, and it's important to build the thousand true fans. I don't, I don't need a million eyeballs on this if it's not a million eyeballs ready, you know, and it's not yet right now it's a thousand eyeballs ready and we're getting, you know, seven, 10,000 views per, per episode. No, it's becoming a juggernaut, and it's as more and more people are finding out about it. And I think that's the beauty of social media. You can connect and find your tribe, find your thousand true fans. How do you juggle it all? You know, how do you juggle being a dad, competitor, a coach, running your own business, social media, all this other stuff? Because it's nonstop. Like. 
Yeah, it's, it is nonstop. I tell people all the time I live off balance on purpose. So the main thing for me is I just don't do – this is going to sound crazy. It's going to sound kind of crude, I guess, but I don't do anything I don't want to do. Hmm. So if I want to do it, I know I'm – like we were just talking about, if, if I want to do it, I'm going to wake up and work as hard as I can. Nobody can outwork me. If I, if it's something I'm excited about, it's impossible to outwork me, but if it's something that I don't want to do as I've built the team and I've grown maturity wise as a business owner, especially I've learned to just punt those things completely like either. Okay. Brandon, who's going to mow the grass? Hey, Brandon, the grass needs to be mowed. Well, I'm not mowing the grass. So either somebody else is going to mow it, I'm going to pay somebody else to do it, or it's going to go unmowed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, so, but just for example, hmm. you know, but that, it's that way in the business too. Brandon, we need to get this uh, – we need to be posting a TikTok every day. I'm not posting a TikTok. I don't care about TikTok. But it needs to be done. But, but it's a part of the strategy. Okay, well then, that has to be delegated out because I'm not spending any of my time on TikTok. You know what I'm saying? So just for example. No, so okay. If I'm not passionate about it, I just punt. I suppose that's the great thing about being a good coach is being able to delegate and to kind of, you know, move it about. I mean, I know we're I know we're just touching the surface, so I'd love to get you back on and really get into like jujitsu and all that kind of stuff. But what do you want people to take from this? You know, like as uh I mean, this has been an honor to have you on, but what would you want people to remember from this about jiu-jitsu, about becoming better men, becoming better athletes? How would you want them to take from this? I just want you to show up every day and be and have fun. That's the way that you'll do the best work. You know, and understand this, and I say have fun, that doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. You know, easy is not... Easy is not really what we're in search of. Like we could, there's other easy stuff to do. You can sit at home and play Candy Crush if you want something easy. Actually, Candy Crush is kind of hard sometimes too. <laughs> Different kind of hard. Yep. But you know what I mean? Uh, easy is not what we're after. But consistency is going to offer you the, the joy that you're looking for out of jujitsu can only be provided through consistency. And I, mm. I'm telling you, if you're in a spot right now where your training environment does not make you want to be there, then you need to find a new place to train because you're not going to hit the levels that you're capable of if you don't enjoy being in the gym. And if you're in a situation where, well, I can't just go to another gym, then you have to start being the change that you want to see. You have to start providing that change and setting the example. You're going to have to take some leadership to it. And I guarantee you that people will, people will start to react around you over time. That's what I, I did. I love it. And as somebody who started jujitsu late and has built a juggernaut of a brand and the PGF and has just gone from strength to strength, I think you're doing an amazing work. But for people who want to get in touch, follow your YouTube, connect with you, follow the PGF, how do we do it? You know, like how do we find you on Instagram and those sort of things? Yeah, I mean, I'm on every social media channel, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. I have content on all of those places that goes up every day. Uh, if you want to see my content, the free stuff, YouTube is your best play. We got, and we actually just, we had like a three hour meeting this morning where we laid out the whole, <coughs> excuse me, where we laid out the whole YouTube content strategy for the coming year. And we got some really big things coming, uh, starting next month, got some shifts that we're making that we're very, very excited about. If you want to get a look at my actual jujitsu and my teaching and see me rolling and training and all of that, the best thing to do is to go to www.brandonmc.ninja and get on that Jedi archive. And if you're just looking to interact with me, I do most of that on my Discord. That's the best place to like get into the ecosystem is the Discord. Well, that's it for another week, and thank you for listening. 
It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.